Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you. I've been uh, staying away from people for the most part this past week, dealing with some head cold issues, but feeling much better, but still I feel like I'm sounding a little nasally, so I ask for your uh, pardon for that. But we're delighted to see each and every one of you, and so glad that you're, you're here. I had a phone call early this morning, about 6.30, and when I get a phone call that early on a Sunday morning that uh, I immediately, if I'm asleep, I'm awake at that point, and many times it's not good news, but this time it was good news. And as I looked at my phone, I saw that it was Jeannie Aldred's phone uh, that was calling mine, and I answered, and it was Jeannie herself uh, calling from her room at Providence Hospital. And uh, Miss Jeannie uh, has been through so much, and thank you for your prayers. In fact, that's what she wanted me to convey to you, how much she loves and appreciates her church family, especially for your prayers. So she is recovering um, in Providence Hospital from extensive surgery, uh, but is progressing, and we, we thank God for that. So thank you for your continued prayers for her. And we have others uh, that... We need to continue to pray for, and Matt will tell us more about that. And Matt, I've got a few more things to add. <laughs> but we're delighted that you're here. I want to do a little biographical study with you this morning about a man who had everything, the, the best that this world could offer. He had power, he had prestige, he had wealth, he had a family. But there was something that arose in his life that changed everything <clears throat> about his life. And his name was Naaman. Naaman. If you'd like to read with me, we'll be studying from 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5. And so let's consider Naaman. Remember this, that Paul said, whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. So the Old Testament was written for our learning, and there's so much we can learn from Naaman, and I would like to highlight some of those things with you uh, this morning. First of all, let's see how the Bible describes Naaman and the diagnosis that he had. The story begins with a description of him in verse 1 of 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, or Aram, Aram is the Old Testament term, Assyria, more New Testament times, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Were we to stop there, I think you would agree with me that there is so much about Naaman that the world would envy. He was a valiant warrior. He was commander of the Syrian army. He was well respected by, by the king. But then we read the last part of that verse and everything changes. He might have been the envy of every Aramean or Syrian, but with this last part, even a slave wouldn't want to trade places with him because the last part says, but he was a leper. But he was a leper. And you've studied enough to know about the serious condition that Naaman would be in with that diagnosis and that prognosis. Because leprosy was a very serious uh, life and death matter. 
And so here is Naaman, has all this going for him, but he was a leper. One thing I want to point out about Naaman and his condition is that though, though he had all these things going for him, he had to acknowledge his condition because of his leprosy. And again, the prognosis was not good for him. And no doubt he has tried every doctor uh, in Syria uh, to try to find a cure. So he is uh, in, in a desperate situation. And just as he had to face that fact, we have to look at our own condition, our own condition. I'm not speaking so much physically as I am spiritually and acknowledge that uh, we need God desperately. Let's continue with Naaman's story. We found the diagnosis in verse 1, but here's a, the prescription, if you will. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. In this time period, for these skirmishes to take place between Israel and Syria was not unusual. And so here the record is given that Here's one of these raiding bands that have gone into Israel and took captive this little girl. And she ends up in Naaman's home waiting on his wife. But notice her attitude despite the trauma, no doubt, that she's been through. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And what is striking to me about this young girl is that she could have been so bitter because of her circumstance taken from her family, now serving in a foreigner's home. She could have blamed God, been resentful against him, yet she is holding on to her faith. And she has so much faith that even this master that she could have been very resentful of, she cares about him. And, and says, if only, if only he could see the prophet in Samaria, the northern kingdom, Israel, then he, he could be healed of his leprosy. That prophet of which she spoke was Elisha. Naaman's response, when he hears what this young Hebrew maiden has said, she, he tells the king about this matter. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is in the land of Israel. And the king's response indicates to us that Naaman was someone that he respected and treasured as a part of, of his government and captain of his army. Because preparation is quickly made. And watch what the king does. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. To read that, it's in terminology that we don't use in our currency, but suffice it to say, this is an incredible amount of money, of treasure. Silver, gold, and these ten changes of clothing are no doubt the finest of garments. And so, and so here is preparation made. The king of of Syria wants Naaman to be healed and so he says well I'm going to do my part and send all this with him 
When we see, as we see this story unfold, there's some mistakes that Naaman makes. And I want to highlight five mistakes that Naaman makes and then bring it all together at the end. But here's the first one. He thought he could buy his cure. He thought he could buy his cure. Perhaps the king of Syria is thinking, well, because of the enmity that we've had and the tension that was even existent at that day and time, if I send a large gift, then surely the king of Israel will, will make sure that Naaman is, is uh, taken care of. So they send this extravagant gift along with Naaman and his request. By application, by the way, Tucker and I have been preaching on doctrinal lessons uh, once each month or twice each month. And this may not appear to be a doctrinal lesson, but I want to make application. Here's some principles that help us with the doctrine, the teaching of God. And here's the application. Many today think they can buy or even earn their salvation, but they can't. In fact, I want to use that as a parallel. Naaman and his condition of leprosy, we in our condition of sin, and many think, well, I can buy or rather I can earn my salvation. If I just do enough good works, then God will see my condition and he will forgive me if I just do enough good. But the scripture's response to that is you can't be good enough. You can't do enough good in order to be saved. It doesn't work that way. Naaman is going to learn it doesn't work that way. Even with this extravagant gift, that's not enough to purchase your your cure for, for leprosy. With all the good works that we could muster, still we find in Scripture statements like this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And what Naaman would learn, I can't purchase it, just like we learn, we can't purchase it, we can't earn our salvation, we're dependent upon God. Naaman hasn't got there yet, but he's going to. But notice another mistake. Naaman, at least initially, is looking to the wrong person for the cure. And I love this situation where the king of Syria has written this letter and has sent this extravagant gift along with Naaman and his request to be healed of his, of his leprosy. And watch the response here. Verse 6, then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Notice, to whom is the letter given? To the king of Israel. And the request is, I've sent this to you, so that you may heal Naaman. Watch the king's response. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. He's trying to stir up more trouble. He's trying to get our nations to go to war again. So the king of Israel acknowledges, I can't do this. I don't have this kind of, of power. But it reminds us, as we look at our own condition, sometimes we may try to go to the wrong people and looking at them as religious authorities. 
Let me give you some examples. Sometimes people consider human religious tradition. Even, relig even again, religious tradition. My family's always done, we've always been members of this particular church and we've always done it this way and this is what this tradition or this church says. But then we're confronted with messages such as in Matthew 15 where Jesus says, you transgress the commandment of God by your traditions. In other words, traditions in and of themselves aren't the guarantee uh, that they're the right answer to our problem. It must be according to the word of God. Some say, well, this is what my parents believed. And it was, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And even the most loving parent can be, can, may not have the right information, may not have been exposed to biblical teaching, or may have, have a misunderstanding of what God's word says. So our parents in and of themselves are not infallible guides. Please don't take, take away from this message. We don't need to listen to our parents. We do. But we need to test even what our parents say by what the Word of God says. Some will, will go with, well, this is what most people believe on this matter, the majority. But then we look at what Jesus says about the majority. There are few that enter the narrow way to salvation and many who are on the broad way to destruction. We don't want to follow the many. We don't want to follow the majority. The majority are headed to destruction. So there has to be a better authority than the majority. Some will say, well, my conscience uh, tells, informs my decision. And God has given us a conscience as a guide. But it's not an infallible guide. Our conscience operates by the standard that it, it accepts. For example... What about Saul before he became Paul, before he was confronted by Christ? He, he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. If you remember what Paul had been doing before he was confronted by Christ, before he became a Christian, he was persecuting Christians. And, but he is saying, I lived in good conscience at that time even. Why? Because he thought... He was doing the will of God. So his conscience didn't offend him at that, at that point. Some go by their feelings. This feels right. Naaman is going to manifest some feelings here, and, and as we'll see as his story unfolds. But our feelings are so fickle. They're not a reliable guide. Feelings come and feelings go. And uh, feelings are so fickle. Martin Luther continued a quote that was a loose quotation, but he said, My warrant is the word of God, none, not else's, none, none else is worth believing. Our feelings can be misguided, so they're not a reliable standard. And here you go, not even a preacher is the ultimate authority for religious spiritual matters. I will say to you again, don't take my word for anything that I say. You test it by the real authority, and that is God's word. 
Because Paul said, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Just because a preacher says it doesn't mean it's automatically true. So Naaman, initially he and the king of Israel are sending him to the wrong person. And the king of, king of, of, king of Syria and Naaman send him to the wrong person. The king of Israel says, I, I'm not God, I can't do this. And what he would learn is the real standard, just as we must learn, the real standard is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration. It is the word of God. That is the right standard. Well, news of the king's distress reach, reaches Elisha the prophet. Verse 8. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So there is the one that the young Hebrew slave girl said if, if he could only see the prophet in Samaria, he could heal him of his leprosy. Elisha says, send him to me. So Naaman is sent to the right person now. And he goes to the home of Elisha. Verse 10, this is his greeting. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now watch Naaman's reaction. But Naaman became furious. Naaman became furious and went away and said, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Naaman's furious. I suspect he's furious, number one, because Elisha hasn't come out to see him himself. He sends a servant to him. Perhaps Naaman needs to learn to humble himself. And perhaps Elisha is helping him in that process. He sends a servant. But it's not just that he sends a servant. It's what this servant tells him that he needs to do in order to be cleansed of his leprosy. Go wash yourself, go dip in the Jordan seven times, and you shall be clean. Here's mistake number three. Naaman lets pride get in his way. He went away furious. That's also translated, he went away angry. Uh, another contemporary English version says he stormed off grumbling. And he almost is so proud and so furious that he misses out on his cleansing. He almost lets pride get in his way. Mistake number four, he had a preconceived idea about how his cleansing would take place. There's three words I like to highlight here. Behold, I thought. Behold, Naaman was furious and went away and said, verse 11, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure, cure the leper. I thought, he had a preconceived idea, this is what the prophet of God will do. And that's certainly not what he did. 
In religious matters, how many times have we and many others said, well, I thought, I know what God's word says, but I think, and it's something that may go against the word of God. The fact is, as far as our authority and religion, it really doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what God says. Naaman's learning that. I thought this is the way it would happen. Now he's telling me through a servant, I've got to go wash in this dirty Jordan River in order to be cleansed. Our thoughts alone are not a safe and reliable guide because we can be misinformed, we can be incorrect. And remember, there's a way that seems right into a man, but what? But the end thereof are the ways of death. Again, Saul, I thought, I myself thought, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He thought he was doing the will of God, but he was terribly wrong. And here's another mistake that Naaman makes. He tries to substitute his own desires for God's commands. Verse 12. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? In Syria, near Damascus, there were these two rivers that were mountain streams. So you imagine that snow-covered mountains and that snow melting and then that clear, pristine water. They would come down and form these rivers. Unlike perhaps you've seen pictures even today of the Jordan River. It looks rather muddy in contrast. Well, why can't I go wash in those much cleaner rivers? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Are not those rivers better? And sometimes I'm, I'm afraid we think, people think, well, this is what God's word says, but I think this way would be better. But what we're learning from Naaman is that nothing is better than doing what God has commanded exactly in the way he said to do it. Nothing is better than that. After all, didn't Jesus say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Naaman turned away and went, went in a rage. He is angry, he's furious. He doesn't want any part of what this servant has instructed him to do. But then we come to the last part and the cure. In his rage, he's turned away, but his servants, his servants care about him. And they say this to Naaman. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. Naaman, a valiant warrior, commander of the Syrian army, uh, accustomed to, to doing things that pe other people wouldn't, they'd be too fearful of doing. And so a challenge for him to to uh, do something, to try to display his courage and his, and his uh, strength 
in order to obtain a cure. He, was, he would be willing to do any of that. And his servants know this. Wouldn't you do it if he told you that you had to do something great to earn your cure? Why not do what he said? What do you have to lose, maybe, is behind their statement. Why don't you just do what he says, wash and be clean? So Naaman listens. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the sayings of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Seven times. I think it's fair to say, this is the way I understand it, or the way I picture it. After his first dip, after he dips himself into the Jordan the first time, maybe he looks, nothing's changed. And after each subsequent dip, Nothing has changed until the seventh time as per the Lord's instructions. And he came up out of the water and his flesh was like that of a baby. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Someone described it like this. The cleansed Naaman. His countenance was glowing, his eyes glistening with the brightness and vigor and cheerfulness of youth, his scaly covering left beneath the flood, his wasted flesh again restored, fresh and healthy like that of a little child and pure from the crown of, of, the, of his head to the sole of his foot. I mean, an immediate um, whole cleansing. Naaman retraces his steps back to Elisha the prophet and said this, verse 15, He returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Naaman understood it wasn't the waters of the Jordan that cleansed him. In fact, Jesus would later say this. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. It wasn't the water. Naaman recognized this is God. The true God. The God of Israel that has done this. There's so much we can learn from Naaman. But let me apply it to studying the doctrine, studying the teachings of the Bible, what we're to believe and teach and practice. And this, to me, these principles really describe the approach we need to have in understanding and applying God's Word. How about this? Do what God says in the way God says do it for the reason God says do it when God says do it. You think that would be helpful to us if we approach the scriptures with that kind of mindset? Isn't that what Naaman learned? Eddie Holt, many of you know and love Eddie Holt as I do. He used to, or I've heard him say many times, uh, commenting, we need to remember the three-legged milk stool. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Three-legged milk stool. Do what God says and the way he says do it. 
for the reason God says do it. But I've added another leg, make it a little more stable, <laughs> a four-legged milk stool, if you will, a four-legged chair. Do what he says and the way he says do it for the reason he says do it when he says do it. I think there's an easy parallel to bring it home between Naaman and his condition of leprosy. The prognosis was death in that day and time unless there was divine intervention. Between our own condition and our sin. If we make the parallels, what we'll see is there's also water in God's plan for the healing of our sin, sin condition. And it's when, when we, by faith in Jesus, who gave his life for our sins, he is the cure. Nothing can wash away our sins but the blood of Jesus. But he has commanded that if you want your sins washed away by my blood, you got to place your faith and trust in me. you got to turn from your sin in repentance. You've got to confess me before men. And you must be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is what Peter and the apostle told these Jews who had cried out, when they had learned they had crucified the very Son of God, what shall we do? This is what you do. So why not do what God says and the way God says do it for the reason God says do it when he says do it? And if you've come to a point in your life when you understand the gospel, you understand that Jesus is the only cure for our condition of sin that separates us from God, that puts us on the path of destruction. And you understand what sin is, what the guilt of sin is. But you want to put that behind you. You want to be cleansed by Jesus. Then you need to respond in the way that the Word says we are to respond. And if you choose to obey the gospel this morning, we're going to rejoice with you. And if you have things on your heart going on in your life, the life of your loved ones, that you desire the prayers of the church, we'd love to pray with you and for you. And if you desire to come back home as a child of God who's wandered away, we will rejoice with the angels in heaven when you make that known. And won't you make that known and respond to the invitation of Jesus right now as we stand and sing.